Good morning, church. Well, I'm Pastor John Feek. What a pleasure it is that you're here. Welcome. And what we love to do is we love to open God's Word and dive right in because God's, God's speaking. Do you believe that? That God's moving. He's moving among us. He's moving in, in our hearts. He's changing lives. And especially as we have been going through the series, Faith Works, last week with Easter, Resurrection Sunday, being able to, uh, to pause for a little bit, celebrate the resurrection, and we are back in the book of James, uh, faith works. And so, as you open to James chapter 1, here's a question, because James is about to dive in, in in these few verses, to give us uh, clarity, to paint a portrait of the Christian life. I, I wonder if I would just ask, how would you summarize the essential elements of just what does it mean to live out the Christian life? Have you thought about that? If somebody somebody asks, just like, hey, get shoot it, shoot it straight, okay? Give me the basics, all right? What are the essential elements? What are the basics of just the Christian life? What kind of attitudes, activities? Just kind of give me a description of what this, this new life that you're talking about, what, what does it actually look like? Does it really make a difference? It, it, is, it, is it kind of the big times where like you, you have maybe once or twice a year just like an awesome time? Uh, in worship, or maybe uh, for for some of us growing up in the church or being around the church, so like you know the 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 mountaintop experience of, of camp, and it's like is that really the the Christian life? These these big moments, and I think James is going to bring it way down today, and he's going to say the Christian life is lived out in the mundane, everyday moments of life. It's not, it's not fantastic. It's not, it doesn't look amazing. People are, are not watching our lives necessarily and they're just blown away by the, the big events of our life or the big achievements of our life in Jesus' name. Instead, I wonder if Jesus rubs off on others. I wonder if Jesus is seen in the mundane moments, in those little interactions, in the relationships, in the conversations. And day after day, week after week, month after month, I wonder if they, they start going, you really believe this stuff. You're not the same person. Like Things are happening in your life because you talk differently. You listen differently. Things that used to irritate you and, and you used to blow up about don't seem to bother you quite as much. Maybe Jesus in us, Jesus through us, looks like ordinary conversations, but with intentionality. It looks like ordinary, mundane moments. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you live a pretty mundane life. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I know it's like Sunday. This is supposed to be happy hour. What's going on? Right? I don't want to walk away discouraged thinking like my life... My life is utterly mundane. But God's working in the mundane moments. God meets us in the nitty-gritty little areas of life. His grace meets us in the crevices and the cracks of the stumbling along and just going through the schedules on a daily basis. God is hes working there. Do we, do we believe it? Well, James is about to, to walk us through some heartfelt and then some things going on from the heart up 
of where God is at work, where God is calling us to live in the mundane moments of life differently, differently, with purpose, not seeking the high highs, not seeking the the wild supernatural things that are often exploited as normal Christianity, but what if he meets us right where we're at, where we least expect it? What if he wants to work through us in ways that don't seem very wild and encouraging? It seems so ordinary, but it's supernatural what he's doing. Jot this down. Be secure in love. Be secure in love. So it starts with this. Every single time that we depart, that we leave after being together like this, knowing this, that you, that you are loved, this is where it starts. Not just that you would hear it, not just that you would think about it, but do you believe it? I wonder if this morning, even you walking in, asking the question, I know God said, but does He really? And I wonder if this area, maybe above others, maybe this particular doubt, maybe more than others, is does God, does God really love me? I mean, I, I know He loves the whole world. I know Jesus died for the whole world. I, I know that He was raised from the grave, from the dead. We celebrate Easter, right? And it's still fresh. And we say, we know this. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? It starts here. Knowing that you are loved. Do you see a verse 19? We're just going to take it slow. All right? We're going to take it slow. Know this. Why, why would he transition this way? Because you don't know this. <laughs> or because you forget this. Or because you doubt this. You've got to know this. What do I need to know, James? This is uh, Jesus' little brother, right? Bring in the word. Bring in the encouragement to us, to the church. And he says, know this, my beloved brothers, my loved brethren, all Christians, the whole church, you are deeply loved by Jesus. My beloved. He starts here. So why does, why does James begin here? I don't know about you, but on a regular basis, daily basis, I either forget or my circumstances make me feel a different way than what I was told. I don't know what this past week has been like. I, I've noticed that after Christmas, that after Easter, something happens where we experience maybe some sentimental or we experience maybe the, the encouragement and the high of, of certain holidays. And then all of a sudden, immediately after, it's like we just celebrated but now I have a really hard time taking that celebration into my everyday, mundane, everyday struggles, everyday temptations, everyday trials. And it's there that I crash and burn. It's there that doubt is seeping in. And he says, know this. You have to know this. Listen up. Listen up. Don't be passive. Don't assume that you already know it and that you're living it because you get distracted, because you forget. And James is all about helping us and calling out the areas that he knows all of us struggle with. James is about to give us what he feels like maybe a Christian to-do list, okay? Maybe, okay, here's the steps that I'm supposed to take if I'm going to be a faithful Christian, okay? But before we get there, he says, I want you to know that you're loved. You don't do these things to earn love and to try to work hard to receive love. You're already loved. So live out this love relationship And Jesus already did it all perfectly, fulfilled it all for you. You are loved. You are loved. So, (laughs) I jotted this down. 
You are a loved child of God. Who cares what anyone else says or thinks about you? In a day where we're absolutely consumed about what we look like, what we appear to others, our image, our status, and I love that he encourages us here. This is your identity. You have an identity that can never change. Do you believe that? Your identity can never change. You are loved. And out of your identity comes your activity. Out of your identity comes your activity. If you're taking notes, I I want you to be thinking about this all throughout the week. I live out of what I'm convinced I am. I believe something about myself, true or false, whether it's a lie or whether it's absolutely confirmed as reality, I live out of some kind of identity. I actively work out of this identity every single day in the mundane moments and I don't even see it, don't even think about it. Do you live like you're loved? Do you live like you're loved? I was reading a a, a story recently about a family that was struggling with a a daughter that had gone wayward and she lived for for years uh, isolating from family getting in trouble in all kinds of ways drinking drugs and wanted nothing to do with the family that was like pursuing this whole like jesus thing this religious thing like don't want it don't care indifferent and pretty soon the dad was wrestling with what is it about our life that is turning her away what is it about what we're teaching that is not reaching her right where she's at and after multiple opportunities to to receive counsel and to dive into the word this this dad came to a place where he realized i i think we talk about jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so but is there a compelling vision is there a better story than the story that she is living in that God's calling her into not more religion not church attendance not doing the right and turning away from the wrong but knowing her identity as a loved one as beloved and he began talking to her about all the ways that God as father even though he had been a failure that there was a vision of God's perfect love for her a love that demanded sacrifice for her. And as he started talking about this, this love that so satisfies and his confession of how he had not demonstrated that love and, and showed her what fatherly love was really like, that even though he was saying the right words, he was modeling for her a father that looked very different than her heavenly father. And upon his journey, God was changing him. And pretty soon he realized that he had been living in a story that he did not believe, that he was loved. And by him going on that journey, all of a sudden he was able to bring her with. And throughout the process of this, he started asking her questions about how do we live out our Christianity and how do we show the world that this God that loves and sacrifices, how does he love and sacrifice for for the world, those that are far from him? And pretty soon they started identifying what are areas in our community where we can reach out to those that are uh, in, in the sex slave trade and those that are giving themselves to drug dealing on the other side of town. And what if we went together and we were able to tell our community, our town, that God is lovingly pursuing them. And they did this together. And pretty soon, she turned away from the abusive boyfriend and the drugs and the alcohol. And dad said, what, what's happening? I thought you weren't interested in all of this 
religious stuff. And she said, I'm watching a better story that I want to be part of. My old story is fading away because there is a love story that is drawing me in. And I wonder for some of us that we would say we believe that God loves us, but do we really believe it? Do we believe who we are, that we are loved, that we have an, a new identity, but we're still grasping for identity from, from the world? If you're taking notes, jot this down. You are completely and permanently loved by God, not partially and temporarily loved until you screw up, until you blow it. I love that we get to be part of not a dead religion, but uh, an alive love relationship that's based on God's complete and permanent love. He will not let us go. That is really good news. Turn to your neighbor and say that's good news. This love is complete. This love is permanent. And he says, be secure. Know this. You've got to know this. It starts here. If you don't know you're loved, you are going to shop around horizontally to receive love wherever it comes from and however it looks at whatever cost are you satisfied in the love of God number two if you're taking notes be quick be quick to listen he he transitions here he says what know this my beloved my loved ones my loved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger let's start with the first one be quick to listen be quick to listen turn your neighbor and say be quick to listen be quick, be quick to listen. Let every one of you that is loved by God be quick to listen. Yeah, exactly. Your ears, I, I wrote this down, your ears listen for what your heart craves. Your ears listen for what your heart craves. You, you have a radar scanner. You are scanning for the things that your heart is already in love with. And he says, if you know that you're loved by God, if you love Him, you are going to crave the desire of your heart is that others would know they are loved. Instead of you being a vacuum, you're able to be a dispenser of this love. Instead of longing for it and grasping for it, you are actually listening. I am so filled. Here's the problem. I'm so filled with the passion of my own little kingdom that I don't have the capacity to hear. My mind is so full of what I'm living for, what I'm pursuing, and what is on my plate, and, and what I have to do, and what I want to do, and, and down the road what may happen, and all of the things that are in my schedule, and me, 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 that anytime you get an opportunity to actually sit down with someone, you cannot actually focus to listen. You cannot care to listen. You cannot love to listen. Do you know how I know that's true? Because I live that every single day. How can I focus? How can I engage? How can I care and love when I'm living out of my little kingdom and all of the busyness that I have in my own heart? And he says, be quick. Not just listen. Not just try to listen. He's like, race there. Get there. But I have a kingdom problem. I'm, I'm not living for Jesus' kingdom. I'm living for my own. Because I have more opinions than a man should ever have. And I have more thoughts every five seconds than anyone should be able to handle. The reality is we all are in a place that we go inward, that we can't even go outward to listen, to hear what's actually being said. If you just did an inventory of the past month of your conversations and interactions, how would you score on the, uh, on the listening side? 
I mean, if you did an honest assessment of every interaction, every conversation, because it's in the mundane moments of life that God is inviting us in, right? Both to receive and to offer. And if we're honest, it'd be like, I can't even remember half of the conversations I had. If I was to try to recite with someone, recall what we talked about, I'd have a really hard time even remembering what in the world did they even say. I remember saying a bunch of stuff because I spent a lot of time venting and dumping and, and letting them know how I feel about everything uh, for, that is political to uh, work vocational, right, to relational, to emotional. And then I walked away and I'm like, wow, that was a great conversation. Well, why don't you ask them if it was a great conversation? Because if it was a great conversation for you, it probably meant they were the ones doing all the listening. Because we're really good at talking. We are horrible at listening. Can we confess in church? Is that okay? Mo moment of confession. God created us. Agree or disagree? Yes? Uh, by design. With what? Two ears and one. Is it? You think that's by design? I don't know the last time you looked in the mirror and you're like, my head is by design. My head is strategically crafted to live out my mundane moments God's way. The only problem is uh, I got two stuffers and one mouth that opens much wider than it was ever manufactured intended to, to be used, right? And operated. I have a problem. And here's what he says. If you know that you're loved, if you're in this relationship with your God, what do you do? How do you live it out? Be quick. Be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. The kingdom of God has a radically others flavor. God's kingdom, it has a radically others flavor. The DNA of sin is selfishness. God intended selfless living. The problem is the DNA of sin is selfishness, and it's in me. Sin at its root is antisocial, deceptively self-serving, and insanely arrogant. Can you back that statement up with your life? Can you verify that in, in the mundane moments of, yeah, I do that. that. That is my natural response. I see sin in my conversations. I see sin in my heart as I interact with people. I, I see that I don't seek to serve people. I seek to take, to receive of what they're offering, not what I have to offer. My daily interactions expose my desperate need for rescue from my selfless Savior. Do you know Him? Did you know that, that God left heaven, left perfection, selflessly came? And did, did He come to, to be served and demand that everybody listen to everything that He said? I mean, the number of interactions that we see in the life of Jesus Himself is that He is constantly asking questions and listening in between every single little teach that he gave and preach that he had, he was consistently around. And I, I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but not only did God leave heaven temporarily knowing that he was going to be resurrected, but do you know that to this day, Jesus is still fully God and fully man? Do you know that when we get to heaven, Jesus will be in human form? He will still in his glorified body be able to show the piercings in his hands and his feet. Do you realize the selflessness of our Savior wasn't just for 33, 34 years. He gave up complete deity to eternally be in the body of His creation. Everybody say that's selfless. That's insane. 
and that he wouldn't just come and be the king, right, and rule, that would already be condescension, right? That would already be leaving heaven instead that he would come as the lowest of low, as last week we talked about, that he would become nothing, that he would be humiliated and choose to humble himself. And what does he say to us? If you're going to follow me, if you're going to look like me, if you're going to interact like me, be quick to listen. But you need rescue. I need rescue from our selfless Savior. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Listening God's way, right? The way that we listen is it's God's way in humility, intentionally seeking to serve and to love. Listening God's way. Everybody say God's way. I do it God's way. Listening frees you from the clutches of your selfish kingdom one conversation at a time. If Jesus saved me for me to be conformed to his image and for my life to be radically changed, then like, what does this radical change look like? How how does this new life play out? He starts here. If you are going to have your life radically changed and conformed to the image of Jesus, we look like Jesus when we are quick to listen, quick to enter in to the burdens of others, quick to serve by hearing what's really happening. That's not where I thought he would start. This is where he goes, though. Here we go. Number three, what, what, what else does this Christian life look like? This selfless life. If I'm to live the selfless life, he says, be slow to talk. Be slow to talk. Back to verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear. Everybody say quick. Here we go. Quick to hear and slow. Everybody say slow. Slow. Hey, slow it down a little bit, all right? Slow to speak. So I don't know what, what your tongue is set for. I don't know if you have like a semi-auto or automatic. I don't, I don't know what you're, what you're bearing these days, what you're sporting. But for some of us, we could say, well, I was born this way. It's a natural gift, right? The gift of gab, right? Well, here's the reality. God gave you that, that mouth. He gave you that tongue. And we're supposed to use it in a certain way. We don't get to use it our way because it's now his. My ears belong to him. My mouth is his submitted to him he is my king he's the boss of my life and what do i do i am called to be slow to speak so what does it mean what does it mean well second corinthians can we get that up on the up on the screen second corinthians 5 i just thought like man i could i could explain a lot but i think here is the summary of what we are to do with our words what they are commanded to do therefore if anyone's in christ he is a new creation and we say new the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everybody say new. It's new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What did he do? For all of us, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Everybody say ambassadors. It's a big word ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal. How? He's using us. He's using our mouths. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness, the righteousness of God. Think about this. Every believer, not certain ones that are called to full-time vocational ministry, those that are called to be a missionary, a pastor, every single believer ever throughout history has been called to this ministry of reconciliation. Those that are enemies, 
We're, we're working towards friendship. Those that are opposed to each other and back-to-back, we're trying to get them face-to-face, right? Trying to bring people together. We are peacemakers by call of ministry. Every single Christian. So if you are a Christian today, you are called. You are called into a ministry. What ministry? Am I supposed to like serve with the babies or am I supposed to help with students or am I supposed to help get young adult ministry kicked off? Am I supposed to work with women or men? Wherever you find yourself, this is the call. Ministry of reconciliation. Anybody that is in trouble, in conflict, you are called to do what? Use your mouth to speak God's message because He's making His appeal to them through who? Through you. It's it's through us. It's through the church. He's working on changing your words, your mouth, to be able to now, instead of create conflict, instead of arguments, instead of demanding your own way with your words, God says, there's a new way. It's new. It's new. It's new. This is the way. Call people together. Call people to be at peace. Call people to be unified. Use your words, the power of God's words through you. Use your mouth for this. Reconciliation. I love it. Because we are what? What's the word there? We are ambassadors. We're what? We're what? What? Ambassadors. What what does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a representative that doesn't take up their own case, doesn't say their own words, doesn't lay out their own law. Uh, When we were going through the process of adoption, uh, we had to step into uh, a a very scary place not knowing what the future was going to be and that we had to be on the other side of the glass from a U.S. ambassador. And that ambassador had the right to be able to say, uh, you are able to take this child and have this visa that they have the authority to give visas to leave countries and enter other countries. And you got one shot, one conversation. And what is that ambassador doing? Is that ambassador sitting behind the plexiglass going, how do I feel today? A little low on caffeine. I might be a little snarky with this one, right? Got into a fight with the wife last night. I don't think their case is going to go too well. No visa for you. What is their job? I know what the law is because the law of another land has been given to me and I represent the United States. I don't get to choose what the laws are, what the restrictions are. As an ambassador, I do what my country decides to do and I'm a mouthpiece, right? Through the plexiglass and the little weird like little microphone thing in the window, right? And I'm hearing words that ultimately are coming from the President of the United States. What's the verdict on this? Uh, Are we all going home back to the States as a family? Or is someone getting left behind? Are we approved or are we rejected? And when you stand in line for nine hours and nine out of ten get rejected and you hear the conversations of the ambassador, you go, I am ultimately utterly dependent on whatever words. And it has nothing to do with their their attitude. It has nothing to do with how well their day went. They are just merely saying the words of another. They're making a decision based on somebody else of higher authority. How awesome is that? That everywhere we go, the mundane, nitty-gritty stuff of like, ugh, I, I don't know if I'm making a difference. I don't know if this life is worth living. I don't know if I can like do this for the rest of my life and just go through the motions. And Well, you can if you know you're a sent one every single day 
speaking a message, making an appeal to everybody that you talk to on behalf of not just an authority of some type, the authority. Everybody say the authority. The, the, capital T-H-E. The authority is saying go. The authority is saying speak. The authority is saying uh, shut your mouth with your stuff, with your agenda. I have a better agenda. I have a better purpose, a better mission for your mouth. And it's listen well so that you can slowly speak an accurate message from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? That's the, the resume. That's the job description. Is that your heart? You are an ambassador of Christ. He wants to speak. Are you opening your mouth with his message? Here we go, number four. Be slow. Here's another slow. Everybody say slow. Slow to blow. There you go. Cute, right? Yeah, I made that all up by myself. Be slow to blow. Be slow to blow. What is verses, the end of 19 into verse 20? James doesn't stop. He keeps going. Slow to anger or wrath or rage. Why? Because the anger of man, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God or the righteousness that God requires. It doesn't produce what God demands. It falls short. This isn't God's way. Human anger is in the way of God's anger. Do you believe that God is angry? I I hope you believe that a righteous God is looking at injustice across the globe throughout history, and he is angry, perfectly righteously angry. I don't know if you've thought about this, but obviously we're in the Easter season. That was so last week. I know, I know. Stick with me. All right, stick with me. So Good Friday, what happened at the cross? Consider this. The anger of the Father being poured out on the Son because the anger of man rejecting the Messiah and screaming, crucify Him. When you have the anger of man and the anger of God colliding, it changes history. It's the cross. Because God's righteous wrath took care of their anger and every other display of sinful anger that will ever be throughout history that on the cross it's taken care of. God is angry, but here's a question. Are you angry about the things that God is angry about? That's a good question, right? It's not, what what does he say? He says, slow to anger. Does he say, never ever feel angry? Is that, is that what Scripture says? Uh, you're going to feel really angry. You're going to feel angry a lot. For some of you, you're just sweethearts and you never get angry. God bless you. Okay, Bless your heart. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, we are irritated, we're frustrated, we're downright filled with rage, and we have to at least pause. Well, at least after today, because now we're confronted with James' powerful call to this everyday Christianity of a selfless life. After today, we have to start asking what? I'm really frustrated right now. Am I frustrated because that person broke my law or God's law? Well, I am so mad that they, well, what did they just do? Did they cross a line of your jurisdiction and the rules and guidelines of you as the boss and the king of your life? Did they overstep because you're on the throne of your life and that you were offended, you were hurt, you were upset, that you're retaliating because they because they dare to cross your line, not God's line, your line. Can you believe that? Can you believe that some people would actually interfere with with your life? That people would have the audacity 
to speak anything but loving and kind words to you, where does our wrath come from? If we're honest, where does the rage come from? Parents, where does anger in parenting come from? I don't know the last time that you said, I am so infuriated at my child for breaking the holy law of God. I don't know if even 1% of the time you ever even considered God as you were blowing up on your kids, right? And I wish I could say something different. 99% of the time in our parenting, I'm angry because they broke my law. They crossed my line. Can you believe that I have children that don't self-parent? Like they demand parenting from me. They demand my, my time and my energy in our marriages is our fighting and conflict over issues that are, that are burdens on God's heart? Are we, are we fighting about things that are clear in Scripture that like hurt God's heart over the way that our spouse acted or what they said? Are we aware of how much of God's law is being broken in the moment that we just have to speak up and tell our spouse? Is, it, is that where our fighting comes from? because our spouse broke one of our unspoken rules. It's because we're the king in our marriage. We're the boss. And we have rules that if they're broken, oh, the fury, the wrath, the rage, they will pay. The only problem is you're not the boss. You're not the king. And as followers of Jesus, are we at a place where we realize, why do I not give a rip about what God says, but I am so passionate about what I say is important and how they should live around me. And so the dream is broken because I had a dream. Not God's dream, my dream. And they didn't live up to my expectations. Not God's expectations because I don't, I don't care about God. I care about me and my parenting and my marriage. <laughs> I just I jotted down, what is road rage all about? Here's the reality. In my kingdom, I not just prefer, I demand that very generous taxpayers pay for the very best roads and never choose to use them. And then when they have the audacity to do so, oh, the rage is on. The rage is on. You're on my road? You're driving in my way, my path, my holy path, and you have come up against my justice. You will feel my wrath. And I wonder how often we, we think about the words we say, the listening or lack thereof, and the anger that comes out of us, do we, do we think about these things in terms of the everyday, selfless, Christian life is consumed with a lot of these very simple things, are they not? The everyday moments of life that I go through, God so deeply cares about because this is where we live for Him or we live opposed to Him. It's not in the big stuff. It's not in the big stuff. It's in the everyday moments of relationships. It's the everyday moments. And he says, be slow. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Because I really want to say that I love God, but when I'm really, really honest, every time I get angry, for the most part, I'm just showing I really love my little, tiny, claustrophobic kingdom of one. And if you're taking notes, just out this down. Anger is a worship disorder. Anger is a worship disorder. Every time I'm quick to speak, my kingdom is revealed because I worship me. Every moment of horrible listening, who I love is revealed because I worship me. And every irritated, frustrated, angry, whether it's a little sizzle or a massive explosion, my heart is exposed because I worship 
me in that moment. I'm saying I'm the best. I'm the most important. And so as we go throughout the week, for us to consider what if the ways that I listen, what if the ways I talk, what if the ways that I get irritated and angry, what if all of that is to constantly remind me and expose who I'm worshiping in that moment, who I'm living for? It's not whether you made a profession. It's not even last week if you, if you said yes to the first step of obedience and getting baptized. It's the rest of our lives asking why am I thinking about what to say next when I should be listening carefully? Why am I dominating the conversation and talking and sharing all of my stories and not listening? Why am I blowing up right now and getting so frustrated and allow all of it to point back to who is my God? Who is on the throne? Who am I worshiping really? And here we go. Number five. Everybody say land the plane. Here we go. Be repenting and receiving. Be repenting Everybody say, turn away, turn away, and receiving, and receiving. What does verse 21 say? Therefore, put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with, here it is, with meekness. What am I supposed to receive? Ah, implanted word, the word. Everybody say the Bible. I'm supposed to receive God's word, but I can't receive it if what? If I don't put away filthiness, rampant wickedness. If I don't put away the old, I can't receive the new. And what is God's? word able to do it says able to save your souls radically rescue and i think that means salvation and i think it means the everyday mundane moments i am being rescued by my king so what is this new life about what is this selfless life about it's about i need to get rid of the old so that i can make room for the new it's about getting rid of the old ways the old lies so that I can actually receive meekly. That means humility, right, at the forefront. I don't have all the answers. God, I need answers from you. I don't naturally go your way. God, teach me your new way. God, I don't naturally think wise thoughts and make wise decisions. I need to receive. I need to receive wisdom that I don't have. But it means I need to repent. I need to turn away. How many times does that happen? every moment of every day. No, not that, this. No, not that way, this way. And I need to receive God's word. If we are called to live a life as an ambassador representing our king, there only can be one person on the throne. There's only one king. Either it's me with my butt firmly planted on the throne of my life, ruling and reigning, doing life my way, calling the shots, or it's King Jesus the one that I said I turned to, the one I said I received, the one I said I submitted my life to in the mundane moments of life, not the big stuff, the little moments of life, is Jesus on the throne? Am I the ambassador being sent, speaking his words, listening his way, and repenting as a lifestyle, receiving his truth into my life? Let's stand together, and I want us to read this. Those last commitments, the resolutions. Can we say those? And so I want us to go into every week, not just good talk, good talk. All right, go team. Let's go. Instead to slow down enough to ask, what are my resolutions this week? What am I going to be committed to? And here are three. Can we read those together? Faith work this week looks like what? I will get serious about sin with my listening, with my speaking, with my anger. I'm going to get serious about it. How about this? Number two, let's read that together. I will be sensitive to the word. 
God, I want to be in your word. I want to hear it. Whatever you say, give me a heart to do it, not just consider it, think about it, but to submit to it. And lastly, let's say that together. I will be selfless like my Savior. I see his life and I follow in his footsteps. Let's worship together.